Hi everyone, this is Jennifer Bagnashi with Deep Believer. Today we have with us Norman Miller. He was born into an Amish family, and at the age of seven, he entered into witchcraft. From there, he was able to astral project out of his body and speak certain things. He can even tell us why dogs seemingly bark at nothing. Norman, please tell us a little bit about your childhood. Uh, my parents left the Amish at the age of when I was two years old. The questions that my parents were asking was the logic of the Amish belief. Like, if Jesus really did die for our sins, and Jesus really did put all of these blessings into our lives, why are we required to follow a church and only go to church? And only within that church are we guaranteed to go to heaven. If something happens and we're not in that church, that means we're automatically going to hell. How does that make sense? And my dad earned a small time living as being a school teacher. And that's a very common thing among the Amish, the uh, adults who have, who have become part of the church and are just there, um, not don't have anything else to do they are allowed to to be the ones who then teach the school and he got in trouble because he was he was um he had a bible on his desk and it was in english and that's forbidden you can't have an english bible norman so what language is the amish bible written in is it it's dutch in, it's in german German, okay. Students began to ask why he has that Bible. And he says, because it answers better than what the ordinance can. And that's when he started asking the pupils questions that they couldn't answer. They, of course, go to their parents, ask the same questions. The parents go to the bishop, ask the same question. Bishop's like, where are you getting these questions from? Because these are illegal, illegal questions. So my parents were told, because of the manner of questions you are asking, we, are, we ask, the, the, the church was saying we ask, but we're, they're actually saying we command. We ask you to no longer ask those questions and move to another community. Go away. So you're not allowed to ask question, certain questions in the Amish community? You're not allowed to question authority. So is it almost like a cult? Oh, it, in that particular one, yes. Um, I was about to say, oh, definitely. And Holy Spirit just about smacked me across the face. Um, there are so many more uh, sects of the belief. Uh, there's, there's the Schwartz and Trivia, which is very strict. There's the Schwartz which is not as strict as the Schwarzenegger. There's the old Amish. There's the new Amish, excuse me, old order, new order, uh, Beachy. Beachy believe that you're allowed to have electricity. Uh, new order believes you're allowed to have things with batteries, which means you're allowed to have phones, but that means you have to have a light pole or something that is lined with, with outlets so you can charge your phone because you're not allowed to charge your phone in the house. My parents just did not see the logic of it. And so they had a family friend come and say, hey, why don't you just come out of the Amish 
and the Stanley friend helped them get out of the Amish, uniquely stepping way forward into the future, my parents began to support this friend who was a missionary to Africa. The missionary to Africa went to a bunch of different countries within Africa. And in the course of writing this book, I met a guy who was in the writing class that came to America because of the missionary. So my parents put sowed fruit into, and I met one of the fruits from Nigeria. So your parents eventually left when you were the age of two. And you mentioned to me that one summer you went to vacation Bible school when you were seven years old. What happened? Because I remember you saying that you heard a voice speak to you at the age of seven. What occurred? It was, so it was a vacation Bible school and the, the um, church didn't believe it was necessary for them to pray over everything that happened. They believed they, that their fast before it had, had before the event was enough to protect everything. And so every Monday, the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday that led up to it, they were just doing activities, but they weren't praying. The first time that they actually prayed was on Friday when they were inviting kids to come to the front and give their hearts to God. And I go to, to the front and it is it was as if, the entire building that I'm in vanished. And I'm walking towards this crossroads. It's like, it looks like a Y. And so uh, there's two figures standing. The one over here is really dark and shadowy. The one over here is really bright and light. And the one in the shadow says, serve me for all of your, uh, serve me for, for seven days, it was seven years. And then once you're done with those seven years, you can serve Christ. Well, that made it pretty clear who that was. That was Satan or a representative of Satan. And the figure on the right says, serve me until your body dies. And when it does, I will give it life. So it's almost like those cartoons where you have a little demon on one shoulder and an angel on another. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. And what I didn't realize until later is that the person was speaking to me and I was a blank slate face. I was just like. Now, were you afraid though? Because you were seven years old. What was going through your mind? I was just so amazed that you go to church, you have such awesome experiences and you can make a choice as to whether it be evil or good. But that's not actually what it's supposed to be, you know. And so when I said I'm going to choose, I'm I'm going to serve evil, it was after think, seeing on my mom's side of the family, my dad's side of the family, I'm not equating evil and good like this. <laughs> um, I looked at both sides of the family, and none of them had anybody who was dying before the age of 14. So I figured I had seven years to spare, and so I chose the chose to serve. Satan. And I literally said the words, I choose to serve Satan. And you said well, this in a church. This came yes. up inside yes. a church. The devil came to you in church. And then you vocally said, I choose to serve Satan in a church. Yes. Okay. 
And the guy's like, no, 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 you don't want to do that. And I'm just thinking, you didn't hear what I heard. I get a choice. <laughs> but yeah, that's in a nutshell. And I found out later, much later, when I was in my 30s, that out of the 200 or so kids that went there, about 70 of them gave their hearts to Satan. To Satan or just left the faith? Oh, they, they gave their, they gave their hearts to Satan after that particular. um, So was there something in the church or someone or principality over that church? There is the firstborn born into a lineage in a world that's dominated by sin. If the atmosphere is not Holy Spirit anointed, the enemy comes in no matter what. So if you're not saturating the atmosphere with God before all of this happens by spiritual law, which is just, this is something that God has to live by, by spiritual law, if Holy Spirit is not the one that's in leadership over an area, that means the devil is by default. And it's not so much principalities. It's the fact that people are choosing to not walk in what they've designed been designed to do which is to be a priest which is to be that intercessor and if they don't intercede evil has permission from god to move in so what happened when you invited satan into your life or into your heart did you begin to see certain things did you hear more things what was that like for you as a seven-year-old i didn't so much hear more things Uh, I began to see things. I began to see that every person had more than the five senses that they thought they did. Um, And what I mean by that is it's not so much just a third eye. It is that the, the physical self, a physical person has five senses. The soul has five senses. And the soul's eyes are much more powerful than the physical eyes. They can see for great distances. They can see for miles and miles and miles. And once I was able to get to that conclusion, I realized that my soul by itself was not powerful enough to make it through this world. I needed to have a spirit guide. And in witchcraft, which is what I was in, didn't realize it, but in witchcraft, that's normal. It's widely recognized that the soul cannot do anything without a guide, which is a spirit guide. Maybe not very widely taught and definitely not taught as far as Christian circles. It's the same way. Your soul is not strong enough to go through this world. You do need a spirit guide, and that spirit guide is Holy Spirit. But if you if he is not your guide that you yield to, your soul ain't gonna <laughs> your soul gonna struggle to get through some things. That's just okay. common knowledge in the spirit world. I began to see that my mom was very difficult to talk to, and my dad was too easy to talk to because I could see his thoughts before they came out of his mouth, but I couldn't see my mom's thoughts before they came out. 
what do you mean you saw their thoughts? Were they positive thoughts you saw or were they negative? I saw all of them. Okay. Saw, saw them all. Hmm. In fact, uh, the, the enemy put into my mind that I was planting a seed, but in reality, uh, the seed was already there. I was just seeing the seed. I thought at the age of 11 that I planted a seed and my dad said that it'd be impossible for him to understand me. It's just not worth it. When in reality, Satan had planted the thought and I saw the thought being planted. So the reason why you were able to see the thoughts is because the devil put it there. Yes. Mm. Now, I couldn't see the thoughts of God and the Bible very clearly explains why. His thoughts are higher than ours and the devil's thoughts are actually lower than ours. So we can always see what's lower than us, but we can't see what's higher than us. What powers did you were you able to possess at seven? Because I know you were um, into witchcraft from ages seven to 14. So what kind of powers did you possess in witchcraft? Um, and did you have to please or appease um, the demons that you were obeying? I used to have really bad eczema and um, I forget the, the word. It's, it's, it's a H word. It means the blood doesn't clot. Um, where I believe that the only way I could keep my powers is if I continued to scratch my scabs open because it require, there, re, there is a requirement of blood of some type to maintain a spiritual allegiance to Satan. I knew someone who literally, this is my early 30s, she literally had out, sex outside of marriage with guys so she could take the child and sacrifice it. Oh, so for, this woman would get pregnant. Yes. Guys, in order to sacrifice her baby. So, so that she could have the, the blood. So this woman was obviously in witchcraft. Obviously. Very, very, okay. very in witchcraft. Was a witch probably, okay. And in a way of a fight that went down she got beat up by her guides. It, it, it is such a difficult story for people to believe. It happened here in Ohio. And it's all because someone decided they wanted to fight me in the spiritual realm. And I just did a fast of prayer and praise in my room. And when I got to the work next day, she was covered in black and blue bruises because her spirit guides just threw her around the house. Because you were protected. Because they could not leave the the county but i began to take this this thing of cutting myself real and scraping myself and pulling the scabs open and bleeding and and most of the band-aids were but uh, most of the band-aids in my in my parents house was used up by me trying to cover up what i had pulled what i had scratched apart just because i was getting so tired of bleeding so did you know that being how old were you at this time eight or nine so did you know that it entailed bloodshed or were you just doing i it? didn't find this out until i was 34 okay so quite a quite a number of years after but i realized that the blood that i was letting pour out of my body was actually paying a currency that i needed to have in order because my guides kept telling me, once you reach 10, once you reach 10, you are allowed to do something. 
10 is the number of government in God's kingdom. So for me to do something outside of God's kingdom at the age of 10, to do, th to do a spiritual travel, um, 10 commandments, in, in, in the old Hebrew sec sector, it took seven judges to decide if someone was doing right or wrong and three high judges. That was the number of 10. That's why 10 spies went to spy out the promised land. Yeah, it's, it's significant. So I'm doing this astral projection. And the fir first, first, I start by staring into a candle. And eventually, it gets to the point where I don't need the candle. And I can just pull out. First thing that was a little troubling is that I couldn't lay in my bed. I'd go to lay down. Just pass right through. Um, I went into the chimney. First time, only time ever being inside of a chimney. Uh, I've been up so high in the sky that I've seen the curvature of the earth being a sphere. So are you saying the earth isn't flat? <laughs> I'm saying that it, it can be a very frustrating thing to tell people, but you know, if they go away because they're but they're they don't go away too far because they think they're going to go off the edge i'm thinking they'll come around <laughs> that's, a good one. that's funny okay i actually got that off of reddit but that was just <sighs> you walk you open the door i walk through it <laughs> <laughs> um but incidentally i now have a fear of heights because i've been up high enough uh but i began to go to my different um, family members of my mom started going to their houses to see whether or not anyone else was doing the same thing as what I was doing. And there were several houses so evil that the level of evil was threatening to me. And then there were others that were just like the evil was sequestered in different parts of the house, but not the whole house. Uh, my grandma's house, the entire property, was a bunker. The entire property looked like it was under that thing, which is just a huge bunker that you could park several cars in. And I could not get into this bunker. And I thought that was a very strange thing. And that's only, I only noticed the bunker at my grandma's house. And then I started seeing the bunker in my parents' house. But I didn't see the bunker in my parents house until i saw it at my grandma's house now what was this bunker it is the hedge of protection it's a mm. terrible translation but hedge of protection is more like a concrete bunker the, the the spiritual darkness cannot get in unless they the witch or warlock gives that person an object and the object goes inside the house so they is, need an entry point it yes, has to be an open door somehow, spiritually. Yes. Okay. It can be a flower. It can be as small as a flower. Are you talking about a, the bunker could be as small as a flower or an open door? That, an open oh, door. The, the open door. So basically, if, say, a flower or a pin or whatever was designated to Satan, offered up to Satan, if you have this within your house, this could be an invitation. That's permission. Mm. not invitation that's permission okay so the uh, devil has legal right yes okay i was i was going to different houses 
And I had to do it at night because if I did it during the day, the birds would notice me and fly away. Uh, if I went through the barnyards, the chickens would notice me and raise up a squabble. And I was thought if they kept, you know, kind of eyeing me, surely the person who came out to investigate would also see me. So um, the most, most memorable is the time when I came into, I, I was just like, you know what? Let's go to the house of the family that invited me to the VBS. Show them what actually happened. <laughs> and um, so I go to their house, came to the, to the front, and the dog was there, raised up its head, started barking at me. I was like, oh, crud. Okay, fine. Up over the house, came down by the barn. The chickens woke up, started making a fuss. I was like, oh, okay, fine. Up and came down right through the middle of the house. Okay, let's rewind though. So you said, so this is, I want you to explain one thing. When a person say they left their body, are they saying their spirit left their body or their soul left their body? Soul. Okay, and why is that? Because if their spirit left their body, they'd be dead. And why is that? Because life is in the spirit. Okay. And then, so your soul is traveling. And then I remember you telling me that you know why dogs bark at nothing, or it seems like they bark at nothing. This dog and the chickens, they saw your soul. Elaborate on that. Dogs don't have the generational blockage that we do that says the soul and the spirit are the, is the same thing. Things that move in the spiritual realm, especially the ones that have to do with satanic power, specifically those who do not care that with great power comes great responsibility, they would much rather just have the power and not be responsible for the fact that they can be seen by animals. I was the individual that cared enough about the animals to go where they couldn't see me. But if the dog is pointed is out towards looking at nothing and barking, it's not looking at nothing. There's definite, there's definite beings out there that it can sense or see. I mean, even the time that I was around my own house at night, went to my dog to see if she could see me and she barked with her tail wagging. So she knew who I was. If you see a dog that's barking at nothing, they don't have their tail, it's not wagging. So they're actually afraid of whatever they see. So a dog that barks while the tail is wagging is a friendly dog. It's just saying, why, what are you doing here? Um, but the dog that's tail is not wagging. Why are you here? Go away. I'm afraid of you. That's the very difference. So what should you say, or what would you say to the person who have dogs? America love dogs. So what would you say, or Americans love dogs? What would you say, what advice would you give to anyone who, who has a dog and then, you know, one night they're just barking at nothing, you know, the homeowner goes outside, no, no one's there, nothing's there. What would you say to that person? Give what? the property back to God. Mm -hmm. I noticed a significant change. Um, I tell the story often of how I came to this particular neighborhood and the dogs would always be barking, just always, day, night, they'd be barking. And there was also a situation where there was an ambulance coming every night because the guy next door had a, uh, a um, stuttering heartbeat. 
irregular heartbeat. And it would cause him to have similar to epileptic seizures. So every time he had a seizure, he just press a button and the ambulance would come and they'd give him some, they'd have to give him an, an adrenaline rush to get his heart to be beating on regular time. And I finally said, God, I'm so tired of this. Why is this happening? He says, because I can't do anything about it. I said, you're God, you can do. And he says, no, you are on earth. You are supposed to be the representative. If you're not the representative, evil can just do whatever it wants. And so long story short, I walked around this park and I gave this park. I said, I repent on behalf of this park. I give this park back to God in the way it was designed to be all the way back to the Garden of Eden. The dogs still bark, but they don't bark all the time. It's much more peaceful because the land has been given back to God. And it not only not only did um, the ambulance not come back, hasn't been back. The last time it came back was like five months ago. And that was the first time in over a year. The guy next door got his, got his uh, grant letter to be moved down closer to the hospital, to the main state hospital. Didn't find out until later that he'd been praying to God for five years, but he was not giving the land back to God. There's a significant difference. Okay, so I'm sorry I cut you off. So let's go back to your astral projecting over the animals. They're seeing you, and I'm assuming cats can see this stuff too, right? Every animal. Every animal, okay. So you're astral projecting over this house. Dogs are barking at you. Chickens are going crazy. Now what? I don't want to wake wake the family up. I want to like surprise them. So I come down through the house, through the through the attic, through the top floor, into the second floor, and I know hmm, it's 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 a thing between it's a constant debate between the United States and the United Kingdom. They call the basement the first floor. I go to my aunt's room, aunt and uncle's room. She's in a bunker. He's not. It's in the bed. I was like, well, that's weird. I, had, I didn't see a bunker on any of the other kids. So I go down to this one room and I go, I tap on the kid's shoulder. He rolls over onto his back. He's looking straight up. And I'm like, why are you not rolling over? Come on, this is what we do. He's just waiting for a little while. Finally, he turns over my direction and his eyes start to close. And then I see that, that movement you do when you realize you've seen something, his eyes fly back open and I see his pupils focus and his eyes get so wide. You can see the whites of his eyes and then he screams. He screams and that scream was enough to frighten my soul. It shot back into my body. I remember going through the barn a pond, a pond wall, another pond, a silo, and I hit my chair so hard, I flew out of the chair. I told my parents later that I fell out of bed, but it would have been very difficult for them to believe it if they would have come upstairs because say this is, say this is the bed. Oh, I don't know if it's picking up very well. There we go. Say this is the bed. Here's the chair. Here's where I landed. Not anywhere close to falling out of bed and so i realized whatever this spiritual thing was whatever this 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 tribal thing was i didn't want any more to do with it because now i was scaring people and i it is not my goal to scare people 
I end up doing anyways, but <laughs> it's not my goal to do that. What happened? Because you told me that, was it about two weeks later, you went to their house. So this is your aunt, uncle, and the little boy is your cousin? Mm-hmm. Okay. So you told me later on, you went back to that house. Was it a few weeks later? When was it? it was two weeks later. It didn't take me that long to catch up on all my chores okay. to be able to walk, uh, to use the bicycle. And I was just thinking as I was biking over, be so much faster if I could just do the soul. <laughs> soul travels just like that but actual on the bike it took about 45 minutes and I finally get there and I see my aunt out in the garden and I say hey Amy and she said I'm not allowed to use her name whenever I tell this story so I can't use the name I said hey uh is Steven in the house she's like yeah but he's had a nightmare a little while ago and he hasn't left the house he won't he barely leaves the bedroom he says it's too scary outside of his bedroom. I was like, oh, wow. Can I go see him? She's like, good luck. <laughs> so I go into the house. The first thing he says is, oh, it's you, but this time you have your body. I'm like, what? He says, oh, I had a dream. You were here. It was just your head. I don't want to talk about it. It's just so, it's just so scary. He's like, seven or eight at the time just to, he's young um and i said come on i'm older than you surely i've i've seen some really scary stuff he's like you ever seen a headless person it's like seen a headless chicken he's like no 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 just the head it's like what he says okay fine promise you won't laugh at me. I was like, no promises, but I'll try. And he says, okay, uh, I was in bed about two weeks ago and I was just asleep and I felt something tap me on my shoulder and I roll over onto my back because I have learned how to hear everyone in my family by how they breathe. I was like, wow, that's oddly specific. And he says, well, I didn't hear any breathing. So I thought maybe I just imagined it. I go to roll over. And just before my eyes close, I realize there's a figure in between me and the doorway. What in the world? So I open my eyes to try to get a better glance or better glimpse. And it's just a head, Norm. It's just your head, Norm. Just your face but it wasn't your eyes. They were glowing pink. And I'm like, what? And he's like, it's just, it's just so terrible. Thank you for not laughing. And I was like, I don't know how to tell you this, but that was not a dream. That was real. And to the best of my ability, it won't happen again. And he's like, what? You're traveling around headless. You do this? I was like, not anymore. Okay, not anymore. He says, What do you mean, not anymore? How, how long you've been doing this? I was like, I cannot go into details. And I literally could not go into details because, as much as my spirit guides would be telling me to do whatever I wanted, at that time they were telling me, that whatever I wanted, as far as telling the truth, I was not allowed to speak the truth. 
I could only say it's not going to happen. And they were like beating me up. I was literally feeling like being pushed around and I, I could feel it. And so I was just kind of walking and got kind of doing this back and forth. <clears throat> and um, so when I got back to the house, I put my hand where the candle usually sat and I said, I am done. And they said, no, you're not. You still got four years. What was the point of astral projecting? Were you, were you supposed to speak something over a certain region or area? What was the purpose of it? It was more a firstborn thing. The fact that I'm firstborn, um, Cain, the firstborn, Judah, firstborn, made that decision to put Joseph into prison. It was just when, when the firstborn is born into a family where both sides have had some contact with witchcraft, the firstborn always gets picked to carry it on. And the only way they can break free is to either have a Holy Spirit atmosphere that they grow up in, or they have people who are interceding for them. If they don't have those two things happening, it's going to be very difficult for that person to break free. Unless it's just like the way Jesus is showing up to the Muslims in the Middle East and then coming back to tell us, hey, I shouldn't be doing this. You should be doing the evangelizing, but you won't go. So I have to go. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> he, he, he tells me it's, it's the only time I get to complain because it, I'm telling the people what to do. Wow. Okay, so I want you to go back, explain more about the hedge of protection, because I think it's really important, especially um, it gives a lot of um, people who are children of God, those who are um, born again, uh, assurance or reassurance, those who are walking in Christ. So could you just tell us more about the hedge and who may be covered and who may not be covered? Another question I asked God this morning, and he said, it's more like... It's more like a concrete bunker, and it is only really there if the person has an active agreement that Holy Spirit is is who they yield to. If you are going through life, going by your own understanding, I really like uh, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 on this. Uh, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. If you don't do those three things, it's optional for God to lead you. It's optional for Holy Spirit to speak to you. And most astonishingly, it's optional for your guardian angels to protect you. If you're not doing it, the things that God says in God's ways, it's optional. There's a missionary friend who, he, was, he wasn't a friend of mine, but my parents heard his story. And then they said, Norm, you just got to hear this guy because he's about your age. And he's a missionary to Iraq also former Amish, but um, he told this story while he was at a Mennonite church. And the unique thing was he had come to the church that my parents were attending, which was a Pentecostal church. And he didn't tell that story. So after, after the, the, after he had spoken at my parents' church, he's standing in the sing in the, um, oh, not cafeteria, but where where we all eat after church. And I walk up to him and I said, you walk. He's like, well, yeah, I do. I said, no, you walk. And he instantly knew what I was talking about. He says, oh, you used to walk. 
I said, I, I, I used to walk in darkness and now I walk in the light. And he's like, oh, wow. I said, and you didn't tell a story. And just smiles. It's like, yep, I did not tell a story. And I said, why did you not tell that story? Now, I, I personally did not know he did not do that. But it's just the spirit of God speaking through me, wisdom of God speaking through me. And he says, because this church believes that the spirit of God can be controlled. And I do not want to give this story in a place where the spirit of God is controlled, because that means the spirit of God cannot set people free. I said, okay. He said, and he gave me the address of where he's speaking later. He says, go there. I'll tell the story there. I said, okay. So I go to that church and someone comes to greet me and says, hi, are you here to meet Jesus? And I said, no. He says, are you here to meet the speaker? I was like, yes. He says, is this your first time hearing the speaker? I said, no, you've heard him before. Yes. Why are you so against church? And I said, I'm not. He says, but every time I bring something up about God, you say no. I said, I can see where you're coming from, but I came to hear the speaker. He didn't say something at the previous, where at my parents' church, he invited me here. He's like, oh, Daniel invited you. I was like, yes, Daniel invited me. He's like, oh, so you're not here to talk about Jesus and you're not here to learn about church. I said, no, why would I? I already do. And so he's like, okay, fine. But just know that I see you as someone who is very against God. I said, okay. So the uh, missionary is Daniel Byler. He begins to tell a story of how he is a missionary in Iraq. And he's telling all these different things that are happening in the village he's in. And that how he had gotten such great favor with the commanders of the U.S. Army that the commanders of the U.S. Army began to come to him for intelligence reports instead of their drones because of how well he could see in the spirit of what was going to happen before it happened. Well, this began to trouble the, the neighborhood a lot. And so one day and one night, Daniel heard something. He gets up and he sees this green light moving in his house. It wouldn't come near his bedroom. But it, every other place, it moved. And it looked like a person, but it was green. At first, he was just so astonished that it had gotten in because he'd already anointed the house. But finally, he's like, in the name of Jesus, I command you gone. And as soon as he said, Jesus, he's gone. That thing came back a few other times. But now that he knew that it, it was the name of Jesus that made it go, he just, as soon as he'd see something moving, in the name of Jesus, go, and it would go. And he told that story. He says, I don't know why it happened. God sent me back to America to find out. And so he finishes his talk, and uh, I go up to the front, and the, <laughs> the guy who had been asking me these questions came up behind me. He says, are you going to talk to him? I said, yeah. He said, no, you're not, because you're against God, and you're against Jesus. You're against the church. I said, okay. He said, why are you not arguing me? I said, because God has taken it, taken who's right and who's wrong out of my vocabulary. 
And he says, what do you mean? I said, John, John chapter 14, Jesus did not say, I am the right way, the right truth, and the right life. So how do you know he's right? And the guy's just like, you never told me you could quote the Bible incorrectly. <laughs> it's just everything he could do. And so these individuals gathering around Daniel and Daniel catches my eye. I just, I just kind of smile at him and he smiles back and he beckons me. And so I go up to stand next to him and the church elders are formed a circle around him as they should. Um, but this guy comes in, he says, Daniel, don't talk to this guy. He's against the Bible. He's against the church. He's against learning about anything. And he, in, he, corrected, he incorrectly quoted the Bible. And Daniel turns to me and says, did you incorrectly quote? I said, eh. And then I explained how Jesus took right truth and never said he was the right truth, the right way, the right life. How do we know he's right? And the elders just like, uh. And Daniel says, well, beyond all that, do you know where the light came from? I said, like, yeah, I know, exactly. And then Daniel's like, hold on. Turns to this other guy. Do you know why the light came into my house? And the guy says, no. And Daniel says, all right, go on. I said, you brought an object into your house. It was supposed to bless something, make something happen out of the ordinary, make it be stronger than ordinary, stronger than normal. It was some sort of thing that you received that you were supposed to give to your animals. And I was just speaking this as a prophetic word or a word of knowledge. And Daniel's just like, we got a bag of feed that someone had said they had blessed that would cause the chickens to lay many more eggs than usually possible. And I said, did it happen? He's like, yeah. Was it that bag? I was like, yeah. And he turns to the guy and says, did you know that answer? And the guy's like, no. And he's like, but why did that guy know? And before any of the elders could speak up, I said, because you're doing your, you are doing your part of the body. You're the part of the body that's the watchman on the wall to see if there's any danger coming in. You're doing your job. My job is to see in the spirit. It's a part of the body. Just because you weren't able to see that doesn't mean you're not part of the body. You're just not the part of the body that I'm in. And he says, but how did you know that? I said, because I used to be in witchcraft. Stepping out of witchcraft gives me license to speak against it to the point where when I speak against it, sure, I do get some spiritual backlash, but not to the point where a person who doesn't know anything about it speaks against it and all of a sudden hell breaks out against them. It's a completely different atmosphere because in, this, in a similar way to how Jesus said, we're now going to the temple and we're no longer going to speak about the things that are going to happen because the prince of this world is coming against me and there is nothing of his in me, which is to say there was no imperfection in Christ, which is why the devil could not speak against him, but that didn't stop him from speaking. So when there is no witchcraft in me, the devil is speaking against me, but it, it doesn't matter because there's nothing in nothing of him in me. Could you just like give a, a shortened down version of <laughs> hedge of protection? It is the realm in where the person says to God, I give Holy Spirit permission to 
guide me, protect me, and rule me because I am not my own. I was bought with a price. I am not my own. I ask Holy Spirit to be my guide. Person who doesn't do that, wants to live by their own ways, is not under that hedge. There is that whole thing where the, the wife or the husband does that, but the, the spouse does not. Then there is a, a familial hedge, but that hedge does not go with them when they leave the house. The person keeps walking in the blessings. It's like, yes, because of where they live. It's like mail. If you move to a new house, you get the mail of the previous person. You're going to continue to get the mail of the previous person until you go to the post office and say, I live here now. Don't send any more of their mail. Exact same in the spirit realm. Your hedge of protection is going to be there as long as you've already gone to the spiritual realm and say, I, God lives here. I'm a representative of heaven. Heaven lives here. That means the evil cannot. So it's, it's not just Holy Spirit. It's a literal part of heaven coming down to protect the person. You said that you know why God allows spiritual battles or spiritual warfare. Why do people allow themselves to live in a world where they were created to be judges of the earth, yet permit themselves to be servants and slaves to the kingdom in darkness, and then question why they have to fight? It is not so much about fighting a spiritual war. It's about, I mean, when, I, when people ask me, Norm, how do you do spiritual warfare? I say, I repent on behalf of the people around me. No, no, no. How do you do spiritual warfare? I just told you. How do you do? I just told you. Finally, the, the magical, <laughs> the, the, the actual question comes out. Why do you repent? I said, because repenting on behalf of the people cuts cuts off like cuts off the ability for the spiritual darkness to speak into their life until i repent on their behalf it's going to be my words coming in and the spiritual evil coming in and it, there's going to be a war and that's where people get the idea that it's a spiritual war but it isn't first you war over the person cutting off the ability for the spiritual evil to speak into their lives. And then it's just a matter of sharing the gospel. If, if your version of spiritual warfare is, is to constantly be coming against the devil, but you haven't cleaned your own house, that battle is just going to continue and continue and continue until as you are doing this battle, you're, you're realizing there's things standing in your own house, in your own life, and you begin to repent to God for what you, if you did that in the beginning, I think, I think we do spiritual warfare as a whole in a really terrible way. I asked God this past April, or actually I was talking to my dad why he should be filled with the Holy Spirit and yielded to the Holy Spirit. And he says, what does that take? And I said, that takes repentance every day. Think of repentance as a shower. How many times do you shower? He says, daily. And I said, and how many times have you repented? He said, once. I said, and you think that makes you clean enough? I used to be dominated by depression, consistently, constantly depressed. Person gives their heart to God, but their soul is still depressed. And finally, I said, God, I, I'm so done with this. He said, good. 
Now I'm going to direct you into the path of someone who's going to tell you how to do this. And what it ended up being was me agreeing that I had agreed with the principality of depression to say it was allowed to rule me. And because I had agreed, it came in, it gave me all the thoughts. I just believed them. And spiritual warfare is a matter of recognizing, yes, I did agree to those things. I no longer agree. God, I take all these thoughts where I was agreeing to the enemy and I give them to you and I ask you to burn them. And every entrance point of my soul, of my physical body and of my spirit that may be connected to that entity, I ask you to burn all those doors. I give all those doors to you. I ask you to burn them. And now I speak to the principality. I don't have room for you anymore. It just took five minutes to deal with a 30-year problem. You also said that you know why people fear. Yes. Why is it? Um, kind of similar to the whole um, getting mail. It was so amazing how this happened. I, I was getting mail from the previous resident. And finally, the U.S. Postal Service guy was here and I go out to him and I say, hey, can you stop this mail from coming here? I, I don't, that's, this person doesn't live here anymore and I still get their mail. He's like, yeah, I can do, do that. But here is literally what he said. Until a representative of the house goes to the location where the mail comes from, we are ordered by federal law to continue to bring those which are addressed to the address they are written. It is a near copy of, for those who have fear. Until a representative of heaven goes into the location of the spirit where the fear comes from, fear is allowed by the mere lack of authority to exist. People have fear because they don't have spiritual authority. So you were able to astral project out of your body. Did you do anything else while you were in witchcraft besides astral projection? That was, that was the main thing. Um, I noticed early on, the one thing that I couldn't do was obey. Rebellion, how God calls rebellion witchcraft. I could not obey. My parents thought I just didn't want to, but literally I couldn't obey them. My mom prayed this prayer over me at the age of 12, which then went into the thing that the preacher prophesied over me. She said, God, I pray that he does not sleep until he makes his heart right. That night I toss and turn. I get maybe 10 minutes of sleep. I'm up and she sees the bags on my eyes the next morning. She's like, how'd you sleep? I was like, oh, it was so bad. I think maybe 10 minutes. She's like, oh, is your heart right before God? I was like, of course it is. She's like, well, you know, if your heart right, if your heart was right, you'd sleep. It's like, that's just baloney. She's like, did you sleep? It's like, well, let's call it coincidence. She's like, okay. So the next night i got maybe 45 minutes and just tossing and turning so now it's 48 hours give or take without sleep and i go to her and i just like okay what'd you do why can't i sleep she's like well because apparently my god is bigger than your god so if your god is the same god as mine you'll sleep 
that's all. Is your heart right before you guys? Like, I'm stronger than this. She's like, okay. He's like, and I said, I'm just going to go try to catch a nap. I couldn't. So it goes into the 60 hour mark. And I go back to her. I said, look, can't you stop? Don't you care about me? She's like, of course I care about you. That's why I pray. I said, what did you pray? And she says, I just prayed. Don't let Norman sleep until he gives his heart to God. I was like, but stop so I can sleep. He's like, no. I said, you don't care about my needs for sleep. She's like, you're, you can sleep when you're dead. <laughs> but I would much rather you go to heaven when you're dead. And so it was like three or four o'clock. Actually, it's four o'clock. I go upstairs and I kneel next to my bed. I said, God, whatever it takes for my heart to be right before yours, I pray. I give my heart to you. I don't know about my life yet, but I give you my heart. And I began to feel the drowsiness kick in. And I go downstairs and I make up some chocolate milk from Nesquik. I just love to make Nesquik chocolate milk. My mom's like, what are you doing? I said, this is what I usually drink before I go to sleep. He's like, but are you going to sleep? And I said, I don't know. I go upstairs and I sleep till 10 o'clock. I get back up and she's like, where have you been? I said, sleeping. She's like, really? I was like, yes, sleeping. Are you happy now? I've been sleeping. She's like, what are you doing? And I said, I got to go to the bathroom and then I'm going to bed to sleep. Are you happy now? And I sleep until the next morning at 10. And I went back to her. I said, what is this power? You did this simple thing. I did something for for 12, for five years. You did this simple thing. Why is your God so powerful? And she says, because he came before yours. So how old were you? And when did you eventually get out of this? I was 12 when she prayed. And I began, I began to have very suicidal thoughts, but I remembered that I'd given God my heart. So I was very, felt very guilty about killing myself. At the age of 13, we were at a church and I began to get slain in the spirit. Didn't realize what in the world was going on, but I was just there and all of a sudden my head go. Just boom. And my, my sister's like, Norm, you can't fall asleep in church. I was like, I'm not falling asleep, but something weird is happening about that time. The preacher says, hey, you, hey, you get up. I was like, oh, great. He's going to yell at me for sleeping in church and begin to get up to tell him, look, I am so sorry. I'm just having a weird. And he goes to touch my head and poof, I'm gone. My, my first thought was, well, at least the pew isn't there anymore. <laughs> and his wife catches me. I never felt I never felt her. And he pro- prophesies over me that I'm going to be weird. I'm going to be abnormal. I'm going to be so strange and crazy. And that whenever someone says it about me to thank them because they are being used by God to repeat what he had said to me at the age of 13, that phrase has been said to me more than 10,000 times by more than 10,000 different people. And of those, about 20 of them believed in God. So God can speak through anybody. So how did you even end up leaving witchcraft? So you're what, 12, 13 at this time. And he prophesied this over you. Yes. When did you leave witchcraft and how old were you? I was 14 years old. So I I now actually served out the full seven. About didn't make it if I would have killed myself at 12. But a man by the name of Yuri Hirschberger 
came to my parents and said, uh, I've come to this house to deliver one person from the, of this house from witchcraft. And he points right at me and says, you're that person. I was like, no, not me. Couldn't be me. He says, do you like to do opposite of what your parents say? And I was like, of course. He says, that's rebellion. That's witchcraft. You're in witchcraft. I was like, oh, please help me get out. <laughs> It's just like I, because I, I, I'd read the Bible. I knew what happened to witches. I knew, you know, that God was very much against witches. I just did not realize that in rebellion, I was actually putting myself against God. That did not come as a revelation. And so he led me in a prayer of recanting. The doors didn't close until it was 29. So I went 15 years with open doors. And those were the years that I don't remember too much of. And it goes back to the spiritual warfare. I was coming into the realization that there is an image that we were created to be in. And as long as I was in the kingdom of darkness, excuse me, kingdom in darkness, not kingdom of, because it, it didn't come from darkness. It's just in darkness. So long as I was in the kingdom in darkness, trying to do right, instead of living from the kingdom of light, being light. It's a completely different life. It was a consistent struggle. I was constantly struggling to do things as God would tell me to do, but there was so much backlash and so much lost memory. And at one point, I remember it was about two or three years ago. I said, God, are you ever going to give me those memories back? He's like, yes, I will. But I'm giving you the memories back a little bit at a time so that you can repent on behalf of those years because I need you clean. Yes, Jesus did forgive you, but I need your DNA clean. When a person gets the revelation that they're called to be in the a priest in the order of Melchizedek, the level of repentance is a lot deeper than the person who just gives their heart to God and the blood of Jesus covers their sin. Okay, so you wrote two books. Norman Miller, tell us about your two books. Well, I figure this package is about as, as easy to see where they come from. But that's Amazon. Um, I have one book here. I didn't get the other one just because it doesn't do very good on camera. But that is, and it's kind of backwards, but it's Dominion Mandate DNA, How to Beat the Devil at His Own Game. Now, the, the image is very specific. There is the, the whole DNA strand there. But this, this cross-shaped thing is actually in each one of our blood cells. And it's called laminin. And it's described in Colossians where it says that Jesus holds us together. But I wrote this book. It's about the first, it's about um, Genesis chapter one, verses 26 and 28, where God says that he made us in his image to plant seeds, multiply, maintain, and subdue. And I believe that because this was given as a mandate to Adam and Eve when they were still in spirit form, that this mandate can only be walked out from the spirit outward. So the dominion mandate, there's the dominion mandate or the twisted dominion mandate. So in the dominion mandate, you plant a seed. The seed can be a talent, ability, or an act of a new idea. Then you multiply the seed. It's the talent, the act, or the new idea or ability 
is spread to reach multiple people. And then you maintain the seed. The strength of the seed of the talent, the act of the new idea or ability is found by always looking for the most effective way to spread the seed to other people in a way that the seed does not die while it spreads. And then subdue, every new idea has naysayers, copycats, and those who fight against it. Subduing the naysayers, copycats, and the resistance is the final step in the mandate. That's how God wants us to do the earth. This is how Satan does it. He plants a seed of division, dissension, or the start of mutiny against godly authority. The seed of division, dissension, or mutiny begins to involve multiple people to strengthen the case or the cause. And then the seed of division, dissension, or mutiny seeks to find the most thorough way to ingrain the roots into every part of society, making it seemingly impossible to root out. And then the seed of division or dissension seeks to drown, shout louder, suggest otherwise, or outright kill any person or movement that seeks to remove the authority from the seed itself. That level of dominion is what Adam and Eve were given. And that's why Satan knew he had to take that dominion away from them. That's the level of dominion. That's why there's spiritual warfare. And it's very literal reason as to why you got to go at spiritual warfare from a spirit, uh, from a life lived in the spirit of light rather than being in the kingdom in darkness and trying to be light. You're only going to have war. Norman, could you just pray over? The viewers who need deliverance from witchcraft, who may be in witchcraft, or even um, uh, even uh, as an intercessor for those who have family members or friends who are in witchcraft. Could you just pray for them? Sure. Father God, I come to you as a gleeful. I, I, I am so happy, joyful. I'm so happy, so full of joy that I finally get to speak out against those who have held me captive, that I can uncover so many like, oh my goodness moments for the people who were watching this or have watched this and are going to share this. I know I'm going to share it to all my family members who are like, Norman doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> so this is going to be a time of me reaching out to them it, through a outside source. But Father God, for all those who are looking for that outside source to set them free, to find the freedom that they're truly looking for, God, I ask you that you send your warring angels into the places of the people who have picked up this, this video, that are watching this video, or realizing they would like to really have what I have. I ask for the warring angels to come in. And Father God, I've never done this before. You said I would do new things today. So, Father God, I asked that wherever I walk, let it be in representation, as you have taught me to do, a representational repentance on behalf of the people who have watched this and are trying to break free of the things that they're going through. Let my prayer walk out a new life led a light of God, a light of Jesus walked out in their life so that my, my testimony and my book can show them how to beat the devil at his own game, how to come out of this, this life of thinking nobody's going to be there for me when I die. 
this this whole experience of coming out of witchcraft is probably the most difficult thing for a person to do but all they got to do is say they want to and that gives your warring angels the permission to invade their life and cut off the evil sources and that father is what i'm asking you to do for those people who are watching and i just want to say now for the individual who has been agreeing with me in that prayer i want you to seek out the ministries that are specifically going for a spiritual awareness amen norman miller thank you so much for this interview you're welcome it's been a pleasure